Hey, I'm excited about this morning. I want to introduce you to a brand new series we are in. We're going to be in it for the next eight weeks. It's called Deep and Meaningful. I want you to imagine with me for a moment as I sort of introduce you to this series. I want you to imagine for a moment that the only Lord of the Rings movie you have ever seen is Return of the King. Okay? And I wonder, as you watch like the dramatic conclusion of that story, I wonder what references would be completely lost on you if that was the only one in the series you'd watched. I wonder, as you, as you watch it, I wonder the names and, and the places and the references that would just go completely over your head. I wonder if the, the, the dramatic scenes that, that, that conclude that movie would actually leave you feeling a little bit underwhelmed. And the reason is because the significance is sort of lost when we don't realize that actually Lord of the Rings is, is one coherent story told across three episodes. And so if you only watch the final episode, there will be things that are completely lost on you. You need to watch the whole thing. And I wonder if we read the, the letter to the Hebrews in our Bibles in the same way. You know, we... we Hebrews records these incredible things about Jesus, and yet I wonder if there are references in there that are just lost on us. I wonder if there are names and places and images and pictures that just sort of go over our head. I wonder if the way it talks about Jesus in such an incredible way leaves us feeling underwhelmed at times. And I wonder if the reason is because Hebrews was written to a people who, were, who had this intimate knowledge of the previous episodes. They knew it like the back of their hand. And I think the challenge is we often don't. And so we read it as if we're watching Lord, you know, Return of the King and, and that's the only one we've seen. And so what I want to do is, in, in the next few weeks, we're going to get to the middle part of Hebrews, where it talks about tabernacle and priesthood and covenant and guaranteed and all of this stuff. We're going to get there in a few weeks' time. But I want us to spend four weeks looking at the previous episode. I want us to go back into the Old Testament, okay? Like, and some of you are like, whoa, I'm going to blow, blow the dust off those pages, you know? We're going to go back and we're going to spend four weeks there. And I want you to see that actually... God, throughout the whole of human history, throughout the whole of Scripture, is telling one coherent story that points to Jesus. And we're going to fill in some gaps. And we're going to unapologetically be quite content heavy. Because I want us to understand some rich things so that by the time we get to Hebrews in a few weeks' time, our experience, our understanding of Jesus would be so much richer, so much deeper, so much more meaningful. See what we did? You're like, man, I thought this series was going to be about DNMs, you know, like, oh, that's scary. No, 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 don't worry about it. I guess the goal is a deeper meaningful with Jesus, right? And so one of the words that comes up again and again and again in Hebrews, okay, is this word better. And better should lead you to ask the question, better than what? <laughs> if it's better, there must be something that it's being compared to that it is better than. And one of the words that is described as being better through Jesus is a better covenant. And so we're going to look this morning at the old covenant. Would you turn with me, if you've got a Bible, to uh, Exodus 19? And uh, we're going to put the words up on the screen for you, if you so desire. Or you can just close your eyes and just think, wow, what a reading voice this guy has. Just beautiful. Don't shut your eyes for too long. 
Exodus 19 says this, On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they encamped at the desert of Sinai. And Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. This mountain is significant. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of, Israel, of, of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you fully obey and keep my covenant... Then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to Israel. Would you pray with me? Father, we just we want to we confess to you this morning that some of the stuff we're going to talk about this morning is hard to understand. And, uh, and it's from a culture so far removed from us. And it's from a time so far so long ago, Lord God, that these things are difficult, but we want to see Jesus afresh. And I pray, Lord God, whether, we have some, I'm some, whether you're somebody who has known Jesus for a long time or whether you're experiencing church for the first time this morning, this is my prayer, Lord, that, that we would see Jesus in a way we have never seen him before. We would hear of him in a way that we have never known him before. Lord God, would you lead us into a deeper and richer and more meaningful relationship or at least understanding of you. And so God, use this time, I pray. We pray by your spirit that you'd bring clarity and insight and understanding. I pray that it would be like a spotlight in the darkness this morning, that things would make sense like never before. I pray in Jesus' name. If you agree with any of that, you can use the word we all use. Amen. Man, Mel, you got there first. You're so great at this game. I wonder if I was to ask you what your purpose is. I wonder what you would say. You know, what are you living for? What are you striving to achieve? Maybe it's to make great movies. Maybe it's to grow an incredible business. Maybe it's raising kids. Maybe it's buying a house. Maybe it's a finish line. You know, that's what you're running after. That is what you're pursuing. But whatever it is, I want you to understand that each of us was made for something more. And we're invited into this ultimate purpose. And I want to suggest that this ultimate purpose we're invited into is the lens through which we should see all other things that we're pursuing. And that lens is a partnership with God. I love the Māori proverb. I'm going to read it because I don't know it off by heart, but I do love it. I promise you. He aha te nui o te ao. He tangata. He tangata. If I ask you, what is the most important thing? It is people. It is people. It is people. And throughout the whole of Scripture, throughout the whole of human history, God has been communicating this message. People are important, not just in general, but important to God. You are important to God. And from the very beginning, God has demonstrated that he has plans and purposes that he seeks to achieve. And the way he seeks to achieve those purposes is through 
people. In fact, I want to suggest that it is also true to say God will not seek to achieve his plans and purposes outside of people, without people. He is determined to achieve his plans and purposes through people. This is staggering. The God who needs no one, the God of all knowledge and all wisdom and all power, like the more I understand about how the universe began, the more I stand back in awe of the God who brought it into being. The God outside of time and space and matter who who uttered words that brought about that power and that creation, like just incredible. And he, from that place of power and authority and wisdom, says, I have great great plans and purposes. I want to achieve them, accomplish them through you. That is staggering. And I believe that if we don't understand this as our ultimate purpose, in fact, I think if we seek to achieve other things outside of that, I believe those things, when we achieve them, will leave us feeling rather empty. Because there's something in us that is crying out, we were made for more. I want to suggest that more is a partnership with God. And the way God communicates that is through Covenants. And so you're going to say to me, what's a covenant? Well, you might not. You might know. But anyway, what's a covenant? I want to suggest that a covenant, a great way of understanding covenant, is a partnership agreement. Okay, and we understand contracts, right? I go into KFC. I want chicken, okay? They want my money, okay? So we enter into a bit of a contract, okay? We're going legal today. We enter into a, co- a contract, okay? We agree that I'm going to give them money that will be theirs, and they're going to give me chicken co- coated in a secret blend of 27 spices, okay? I want chicken. They want money. We swap. We're all happy, okay? That is a contract. It's based on promises. I promise money. They promise me chicken, And both of us are in it for our own benefit. Both of us are in it for profit. I'm in it for chicken. They're in it for money. But that is not what a covenant is about. A covenant is so much deeper, so much richer. A good way of understanding a covenant is marriage. Think of a bride and groom on their wedding day. They aren't saying, this is mine, this is yours. They're saying, I am yours and you are mine. And they say that not through general promises. They say it through solemn vows. And it's not about personal gain. It's not about profit. Listen to this. It is about self-giving loyalty and sacrificial love. How significant is it then that God wants to relate to humanity in such away. And we see from the very beginning God entering into covenants. Can I say there has never been a period of human history where God has not sought to enter into a partnership with humanity through covenants, okay? Look at some of the first verses of the Bible. This is right at the end of the creation story. Genesis 1 says this, God blessed them, talking to Adam and Eve, the first ever people that he'd made. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves along the ground. God is inviting Adam and Eve into a partnership. And when they questioned God's word, when they questioned what he said, it, was, it broke the partnership. Suddenly they weren't trying to partner with God. Suddenly they're like, actually, do you know what, God? We've got this. We're going to do it our own way. We're going to do our own things. We're going to pursue plans and purposes outside of yours. And so the partnership gets broken. 
Sin enters the world is another way of putting it. And from then on, we see a succession of covenants, a succession of partnership agreements that God has sought to communicate to humanity, all of which are leading to this restoration of partnership with God. When God judged the world in the time of Noah, he he reiterates the, the covenant he'd made with Adam. He reiterates that with Noah. Slightly different, but reiterates it. God then calls Abraham. What does he do? He enters into a covenant with him. He makes promises to him. He says, he, makes, he promises Abraham that he's going to make his family. First of all, he's going to give him a family. Abraham didn't have a family. I'm going to give you a family. And that family is going to become so large, it's going to be a nation. And through that nation, Abraham, I'm going to bless all nations. And so fast forward, when we, get to, when we get to Exodus, the words we've just read now, that family has become a nation. They're about 2 million people. They've spent 400 years in slavery, and God dramatically and powerfully delivers them out. We did the first half of Exodus previously. This is the second half we're getting to. And, and as he brings them out and takes them onto the land that he has promised them, he says, I want to enter into a partnership with you, nation. I want to enter into a partnership. I want to work with you, Israel. How does he do that? Through a covenant. And so these words that I read at the start are are really a summary of what we often refer to as the old covenant. Okay, some people call it the Sinai covenant. That's because it was made at the foot of Mount Sinai. Some people call it the Mosaic covenant. It doesn't mean like this sort of patchwork mosaic. It's to do with Moses. It's because Moses was the, the guy who, who, who sort of was the go-between between God and Israel. Okay, so it's sometimes called the Mosaic covenant. People call it the old covenant. And, and, and the thing about this covenant is that it would profoundly impact Jewish culture, the way they did life from then on. It impacts so much of the Old Testament, which is is the bulk of what we read in our Bible. So this is a really, really important thing for us to get our heads around. And what I read to you before is a summary of what goes on throughout the rest of Exodus and into Leviticus. And then when you get to the next book, Deuteronomy, that's the second telling of it. Okay, so this, this, this is a huge part. But fortunately, we're just going to read, we've just read three verses, four verses this morning that give us a nice little summary of it. And the methodology that God uses to articulate this covenant with this nation was it was a format that they would have understood. It was the way kings made treaties between nations. God uses a format that they understood. And so first of all, he establishes the parties. Notice he says, um, if I can find it, oh, this is awkward. Um, verse 4, you yourselves saw, have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you out on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. I carried you out and I brought you to myself. We see it more explicitly over the page in, in Exodus 20, verse 2. It says, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. Do you notice God is saying to a nation, I am yours and you are mine. From this moment on, I will relate to you with self-giving loyalty and sacrificial love. This is profound. 
Often in those treaties, you'd find a bit of history as well. And so that verse about eagle's wings gives us some history. It shows us how the parties have reached this point. You were in slavery, and like an eagle that soars above the storm, I plucked you out of slavery, and I carried you out, and I've brought you to this moment. This moment of me covenanting with you wasn't about your effort. It wasn't about your ability. It's because I've chosen you. I have rescued you. I love you. It's not about your effort. It's about my power. And a covenant would then have two things. It would have a set of promises and it would have a set of stipulations. And the promises God makes here are, reveal the purpose of the partnership. Notice in verse 5 it says, Now if you fully obey me and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be this, a treasured possession. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to be a holy nation. God's promise in this covenant was these three things for Israel. Number one, a treasure possession. This word treasure possession comes up when David is, is calling for gifts. And, and, and so he, he, as king, he owns like the, everything in the whole country. And so he goes, I'm making sure that I'm going to provide for this by providing all the things for my kingdom. But then the Bible records that he had a secret stash that wasn't really the kingdom's, it was his. Nobody else had access to this, and he gave a gift out of that as well. And that is the word God is using here. God is saying, this is the first exp- one of the first expressions in the Bible okay, of monotheism, that God know, owns all things, that God is sovereign over everything. God says, though the whole earth is mine, though I own everything, you'll be like this secret stash. You'll be like my personal treasure trove. You will have a special place in relation to me. And second, he promises that you'll be a kingdom of priests. Priests are people with a special access to God. God is saying, you're going you're, you're to relate to me in a different way. And we're going to come back to that next week, okay? Hold fire. We're going to get to what that special access to God looks like. But they were going to hear God, and they were going to meet with God, and they were going to relate to God like nobody else on earth. But the pre- a priest is somebody who sort of represents people before God and God before people. It's a dual purpose. And so when he says kingdom of priests, it sort of leads us on to this third promise that you're going to be a holy nation. That you're going to be a representative of God before the rest of humanity. You're going to be a holy nation. Holy means set apart. It means something else entirely. God was about to lead this nation. He'd led them out of Egypt where they'd been for 400 years and they worshipped all sorts of gods. And they were going into the promised land full of nations that worshipped all sorts of gods. I was like, no, I don't want you to be like them. I want you to be set apart. I want you to live a distinctive life. You're going to be a holy nation. Why? Because you're going to represent me to the people. This is part of God fulfilling the promise that he had to, to bless all nations through this nation. So you're going to be a treasure possession. You're going to be a kingdom of priests. You're going to be a holy nation. But this call to holiness, this call to to live a distinctive life was going to be achieved through these covenant stipulations. These are like requirements. And it's through these requirements, through these stipulations that they were going to live a distinctive life. And it's what we know as the Ten Commandments. Okay, it's what, like, I don't, I've never met anybody who's never heard of the Ten Commandments. I'm sure there are many people who have never heard of them. But anyway, these are covenant 
stipulations. And what God does is he, he calls out, he says, this is the way you're going to live. You're going to live in line with these 10 words, these 10 rules. And then what comes after that is a whole bunch of stuff that seems completely irrelevant to us. Or there's lots of stuff that seems completely weird to us. But it's God showing practically what those Ten Commandments look like in a Bronze Age farming community. And so they seem a little bit weird for us, but they were absolutely right for them at that time. How are you going to live out these Ten Commandments, these Ten Words? And they get written by God onto two stone tablets. And together, the sort of Ten Commandments and and all of the explanations, the sort of case law style stuff that comes after it, comes together in what's called the Book of the Covenant. And so before we move on, I just want to answer a couple of questions. Maybe I'm going to preempt some frequently asked questions uh, about this covenant, about these covenant stipulations. The first thing is, these laws were about covenant faithfulness. And I think we make the mistake sometimes that if we could just obey all the rules, then we would be right with God. But these laws aren't about perfection. These laws were about being faithful to the covenant that God was making with them at that time in that season. Think of it like marriage, okay? If, if, if you get married, you're saying, I am yours, you are mine. And so the way I'm going to relate to you from now on is going to be different to the way I relate to anybody else. And acting like you're married never makes you married. But once you're married, there's an expectation that you're going to live in line with the commitment you've made. So these ten, these ten Commandments were about Israel faithfully following this covenant that God has made with them. It was never going to make them worthy before God. But God having made a covenant with them, it was going to show that they were faithful to it. And we look at these laws now and we go, they're a bit primitive. Like I've read stuff in there about slaves being property. Like that is weird. Even I know that is wrong. But I want, you to, I want you to understand that this was at a particular point in history. And God was saying, I want you to live in this way to show that you are faithful to me. And I want to I sort of put it out there that I don't know that we've ever really progressed much beyond the Ten Commandments. As an incredible framework for life. They were enshrined in UK law. They were, they were brought over to New Zealand. I think they, many of our laws today have their roots in these Ten Commandments still today. But also we need to see that they are absolutely appropriate for a Bronze Age farming community in that age. And these laws were light years, and I mean light years, ahead of all of the surrounding nations. Even just living in this way, they were going to be very, very distinctive from the people around them. You start to see, you see exactly what you would expect to see. Uh, You see things like... um, Laws about sex and money and power. <laughs> and, you, and you begin to see the protection of people who are weaker in society and often oppressed. People who are poor. People who are female. People on the outside. God begins to show them how to protect such people in communities. And I want you to see that these rules are life-giving. And that's really important because uh, I think we go, rules are oppressive. Rules restrict my freedom, whereas I want to suggest that actually freedom is having the opportunity to live out your, the purpose for which you were created. And so Israel sees this. They have been in slavery for 400 years, and suddenly the God of the universe wants to enter into a partnership with them. And he says, the thing is, if you're going to be in covenant with me, you're going to have to live in this way. And they are like, yes, yes, 
Yes, they did not see these as restrictive. They saw them as an incredible opportunity to actually partner with God. But I also want you to see that actually these promises are pretty primitive. God makes promises to them, but it has nothing to do with like sin being removed. It has nothing to do with eternal life. It, the promises relate to their purpose at that time. God says, if you keep this, I'm going to settle you in the land as a nation. Now, I'm going to bless you in that land. The promises were primitive, and the promises were conditional. This is a word I haven't majored on, but it's actually a really important word in here. And it's the word if. If you keep these commandments, if you follow these laws, then you'll be a treasure possession in the kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But if you don't, you won't be. If you don't, those promises don't exist for you. They were contingent on their behavior. They had no guarantees. And as we see throughout Scripture, Israel failed miserably. Israel failed miserably something better was going to be needed someone better was going to be needed and we're going to see that that someone was Jesus I hear you crying this morning so what like some of that was vaguely interesting so what what does that actually mean for us today I want you to see how valuable you are is the first thing yes you yes the person here right now who's just gone not me (laughs) Everyone else but not me. You are so valuable to God. And the way he demonstrates that is that there has never been a season of human history where he has not sought to partner with people. And this morning, the God of the universe desires to partner with you. He desires that your life would be lived through the lens, whatever you're doing, through the lens of this incredible partnership with him. And yet time and time again, people prove faithless. People get it wrong. Israel messed up, but we mess up all the time as well. And so this tension begins to arise, okay? God will not achieve his plans and purposes without people. We keep messing it up. So God, your plans and purposes are not going to happen. Like, that is intention, right? And it's all pointing to, this tension is pointing to a moment in history where God himself would set a step out of eternity and into time in the person of Jesus Christ and become the faithful covenant partner that Israel couldn't be. And he fulfills the covenant on their behalf. He lives out all the laws. He, like, he lives as that treasure possession. He lives as that kingdom of priests. He lives as that holy nation. He fulfills the law and he ends it. And he enters into this new covenant, this new covenant we're going to get to in Hebrews. It's a covenant where God says to you, you are mine and I am yours. It's a covenant where God says, I didn't carry you out of Egypt. I rescued you from slavery to sin. I rescued you from yourself. How did I do that? I died on the cross in your place. It's a, it's a covenant that isn't contingent. It's a covenant of incredible promises, better promises, promises that are guaranteed, where the only covenant stipulation isn't what the covenant, old covenant became 613 laws. The only stipulation is will you believe in Jesus Christ, that he has fulfilled the law on your behalf, he has forgiven your sin, and he invites you into a brand new relationship with God. And so you say, well, what about the rules? 
Like, do, does anybody, anybody ever heard that? What does the Ten Commandments mean now? Like, what relevance does that have in my life? As Jesus has fulfilled it and, and removed that covenant and established a new partnership with us, a new covenant with us, then why do some churches still have the Ten Commandments written on the wall? Like, what about the rules? How do I know if I'm in the right or not? Like, we love rules, right? We love rules, and the reason we love rules is because when we obey them, when we follow them, it's like we feel really great. Like, I feel good before God today because I kept the rules. And then when we don't keep the rules, we're like, well, there's no reason to praise today. There's no reason to celebrate today. I may as well just throw it all in. Do you know what? Half the rules I think we live by aren't even God's rules anyway. They're ours. But the things we've decided are what... That if we obey them, we're going to feel good. We're going to feel okay. And this transition between old covenant and new covenant is about God going, it's not about the rules anymore. I'm going to invite you into a new way, a living way, a completely different way. And so the Ten Commandments, they're important in that there is a timeless wisdom that it communicates to us. It communicates something about God to us, but they cease to be the way that you relate to God. We relate to God through the faithful covenant partner of Jesus who kept them on our behalf and invites us into a brand new way. And so you could say, well, does how I live matter then? I want to say absolutely. Why? Because if we don't understand how we're to now live, then it will rob us of our purpose. It will rob us of what God calls us to today. Here's how Peter talked about it. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says this. These words may well now be a little bit more familiar to you. Peter says this to the church, but you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You are God's special possession, that secret treasure trove that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. When you believe in Jesus, you become that special possession. You become a royal priesthood. You become a people with specific, with, with special access to God. Come back next week to hear about that, okay? A people with special access to God, but that dual purpose, not only with special access to God, but actually a call to be a holy nation, a call to live distinctively, not as an end in itself, but a call to live distinctively that people would look on and cease a glimpse of God and His Word and His will and His ways through the way we live. But the thing is, now it's not about, it's not about if you obey the laws. It's about if we believe in Jesus. What happens at that moment? God sends the Spirit of God into us, the very power and presence of God to give us a new heart and new desires to follow Him and to serve Him and to understand His Word and His will and His ways and to actually not just walk in it, but want to walk in it. And so there's never actually been a time in all of human history where we have such great potential to actually fulfill the call of God on us to walk in partnership with Him. There's never been an, such an opportunity as this. And in all of eternity, God chose that today would be a day when you would have the opportunity through Jesus and with the empowering and the enabling of the Holy Spirit to actually walk in partnership with Jesus. And so I want us to use this as a lens through which we might see the whole of our lives. 
It doesn't matter whether you've got a job or you haven't. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or whether you're poor. It doesn't matter whether you are young or you are old. I just felt the Spirit just nudge me on that this morning. So often, as, when we talk about young people, we're like, wow, there's such potential to, to do great things with God. I want to say, if you've got breath in your lungs, there is a plan and a purpose that God has that He seeks to achieve through your life. It doesn't matter even if it's not relevant whether you're healthy or sick. There's a way if you're sick that you can bring glory to God today by saying, God, how, how do we partner today? How can the way I live, the way I face the challenge in front of me, how can that be, be a way that people look at my life and go, wow, I see something of God in there. I see a glimpse of God in the way you're living. Can you see circumstances don't matter so much? They matter, but they don't matter so much. Wealth doesn't matter so much. Age doesn't matter so much anymore. Because if you've got breath in your lungs, God is wanting to partner with you. And he's done, that, he's done that in the most expensive way through Jesus. He's done that in the most enabling way by giving the very power and presence of God poured into your life so that you could actually accomplish that. And so I realized that, that this is sort of no dramatic conclusion to this message, but I want you to see this is episode one in a little series that we've got where we're building towards. But I want you to go out of here knowing today how important you are how precious you are. And I want you to go out today saying, God, where to today? And whether the depths of Africa or your next door neighbor, God has great plans and purposes he seeks to accomplish through you. Not just the person next to you, but you. Let me close with this. Come on, Isaac, why don't you bring the team up? You can all come. It's all good. And we're going to share communion together. And we're going to worship. And the cool thing is, if you're not a Jesus follower, you don't have to enter into this. If you never come to believe in Jesus, I want you to see that the opportunity to believe is there for you. The opportunity to receive forgiveness through him, to enter into this partnership, is available to you today. And if you are somebody who believes in Jesus, I want you to come up and, and take bread and take juice. And here's why we do it. Listen to these words afresh. Matthew 26, Last Supper, just before the cross. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take it and eat. This is my body. And then he took a cup. And when he had, the implication is this red liquid. There's probably wine in there. Uh, not grape juice, black currant juice, but go with me. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he, took, he gave it to them and said, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I want to pray right now, and I'm going to invite us to take communion. And if you're somebody today who has never come to believe in Jesus, I want to give you the opportunity right now to enter into this partnership with God. But you know what? You might have been following Jesus a long time. But it's like you've been pursuing other purposes or you've counted yourself out. And you're seeing today that actually God presents to you this opportunity to partner. And so maybe as I pray, if you want to begin to believe in Jesus, let me give you some words 
to express that. But if you find yourself just outside of this purpose right now, and you want to come back, you might want to use these words too. Can we pray? God, I thank you that you so love me. And though I've lived my own way and pursued my own things, God, I understand that you ascribe great value to me. That you have great plans and purposes for my life. Your plans. Your purposes. I want to thank you that you sent Jesus to die in my place so that I can be forgiven. And I receive that today. And I thank you that it comes with the promise of your Holy Spirit to be poured into my life to help me live in a brand new way. Lord, help me from this moment on, not just to know I'm forgiven, not just to know I'm destined for eternal life with you, but let me know right now, how do I partner with you? What great things will you seek to accomplish in and through my life today? pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And if we, as I invite you now to share communion, God, we thank you that these symbols remind us of this incredible covenant partnership agreement that you've made with us. Lord, we thank you for it. We praise you for it. Lord, help us to walk in it today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's share communion. Let's worship.